Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. So let's go on a journey this morning. Um, we're going to come, become, I'm coming from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 22. And we're going to go on a nice little fun journey together and discovering a few things. And I feel that this word is directly from the Lord and I look forward to it. Um, so first and foremost, let us pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to come forth. I thank you for your anointing, Lord. I thank you for every house represented in this church, Father God. I pray that your spirit fills this building, Lord, permeates from the front to the back in every crevice, Lord God. Let your spirit be with us. Let your presence be with us. Father, any words that Derek Walker speaks, I pray that they fall void and that the words come directly from you, Lord God, that it touches hearts, touches minds, and transforms hearts and minds to be pointed directly to you. In Jesus' mighty name. So I'm going to read through chapter 9 very quickly, the conversion of Saul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have, learned, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the, work, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed, and said, It is not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name. And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I love this story because it really takes you on a journey of transformation in Saul's life. 
Many of us are on a journey throughout our lives, and I think this scripture really embodies something that as saints we often forget about. We often forget about when we're in our circumstances that nothing's new under the sun to God. He's been doing the transformation in lives of many from the beginning of time, and he continues to do them, and he has a desire to do it. So what I want us to take away from this morning is understanding that God's transformative power will stop the life you live to set you on a path toward the life he has ordained through you. The manifestation of your gifts will build your legacy all for his glory. Amen? So what is transformation and what is legacy? These are two concepts that don't seem to go go together, nor seem to be driven by each other. However, when we look at the life of Saul, these two concepts marry together in a way that is inspirational and motivating to believers. A transformational experience can be defined as an experience that fundamentally challenges a person's assumptions and preconceptions, as well as their beliefs and their values, affecting how they understand themselves, others, and the world. For me, true true transformation requires three essential elements. An understanding of one's identity, a commitment and desire to move from one state to another, and lastly, a submission to the truth. It was very interesting to me when I started preparing this. The first definition that comes up when you Google the word legacy is an amount of money or property left to someone in a will. It's interesting how Google focuses on the transferring of wealth, but nothing else. The truth of the matter is your legacy is the story of your life. The things you did, the places you went, goals you accomplished, failures, setbacks, and how you press forward or how you crumble. Legacy is something that you leave behind to be remembered by, but more importantly, it's a pathway that guides future generations in the decisions of what to do, what not to do, how to live, how not to live. It's the manifestation of your gifts that was needed in the earth during your time and season, and that will be a guiding light for the next generation behind you. I've probably shared with many of you that I love movies. I'm a movie buff. I love you know, action-packed movies, dramas, psychological thrillers, the History Channel, I watch it all. But more recently, of course, the last 10 years, as many of you, there's this company that's been kind of plaguing our life, Marvel. (laughs) They've been, like, they've taken over our entire world. So for me, Tony Stark is probably one of the best Avengers. One. One. I won't argue with you, Andrew. I'm older. I won't argue with you, but he's one of, one of the best Avengers. And so when you know the backstory and you love the comic books and you love everything about these things, when they go to take it to the movies, you're always skeptical. Are they really going to embody the character the right way? Are they really going to package it up? And I remember, you know, of course, there's three Iron Man movies. We won't talk about the third one. We're going we're to forget that one ever happened. Um, But the first two I found very profound, and one morning I was out on a run, and I, I had this thought or vision about the fact that I had not tapped into something that I was supposed to tap into. Because I, I don't have this understanding because I haven't tapped into something. 
And it was so weird to me, and I'm like, okay, whatever that was about. Let me keep running, keep my cadence going or whatever. But it took me to the Iron Man movies. So, and it was kind of weird, I'm sorry, but it took me to the Iron Man movies. In the first Iron Man, we see Tony Stark, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, ton of money, loves what he does, arrogance, conceited, all of those different things um, that are not edifying of a good human being. However, he lived this life that he loved, a life of a billionaire. He had these preconceptions of his father and that legacy that he had. But you notice in the first movie, something very prolific happens. He's selling weapons, to, he's, uh, has a contract, he's selling weapons, and he goes through this process of almost dying, right? His own weapons explode and are used against him. He's stuck in a cave, isolated from all his money, all his fame, all his fortune, all the women, all the cars, all the houses, all these different things. And he's resulted in this isolation to one thing, his gift, his genius, that who he truly is. However, we go on to see that he starts this process of transformation, and in that, he understands that this isn't the legacy that I want to have for our company. This isn't the legacy I want to have for everything that we're doing. And so he goes, he gets out of the cave, all those different things, and he starts his journey. You're like, oh my God, yeah, I am Iron Man. You know, it's the end of the movie, like, you're so pumped. Then you get to the second movie, and the old Tony Stark is kind of back, right? He's having these, you know, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, he's kind of back. And then you realize he's actually dying. The, the thing he planted in his chest to stop the shrapnel from getting to his heart or whatever was killing him. It was toxic to his body. And he's going around and he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to die, whatever the case may be. And it was, you know, Samuel L. who tells him like, well, your father said you would figure all this out. I don't know. Well, what do you mean? My father was cold. He was heartless. He didn't like me. He, what, what are you talking about? And so he goes through this journey of going through all his father's stuff, and he finds this movie clip at the end, and his father tells him, you will always be my greatest accomplishment, something he had never knew. So at that moment, Tony Stark began to stop running from his preconceptions of the shadows of his father's legacy or what he thought his legacy was, and then what happened? He was able to tap into a power source that saved his life. He was able to tap into something that transformed what he actually thought. The power he obtained when he stopped running from his father's shadow. And that began his journey of a true legacy. In our journey this morning, as we will see with Saul, there are three steps, I believe. There's a time to transition, there's a time of transformation, and it's a time to testify. The first one, time to transition. Saul of Tarsus, verses 1 through 9. How many of you understand that God does not operate on anti-meridian or post-meridian time? For those of us who was a little too fast, a.m., p.m. How many of us understand that? See, he operates under divinely appointed time in which he desires to orchestrate, intervene, or stop your path of action. We see in the scripture that Saul of Tarsus, as I like to put it, was amplified, right? Because in chapter 9, we see in verse 1, he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples and the Lord. And now he had the authority from the high priest to imprison any follower. He was the people's champion. And now, with the authority to operate, he was basically a modern-day bounty hunter against Christians. 
But what does it mean to transition? Transition technically is moving from one state to another. We use transition words to connect one thought to another thought, one sentence to another sentence. I could imagine for that brief moment that Saul is marching on the road to Damascus with his tactical plan of attack, his soldiers are ready for battle if needed, and all of a sudden, there's a shift in the atmosphere that takes place. The calm weather halts, a bright piercing light emerges, and Saul is found on his knees asking, who are you, Lord? Can I tell you, saints, God wants to shift our atmosphere and position us to transition from the state of uncertainty, doubt, and fear, and sin into a relationship with him where you can abide in his spirit, understand your identity, and do his will. Let me give you an example. There's going to be some movie references here, people. Sorry. (laughs) To my Avengers Endgame fan. There's a scene that I love so much, the final fight scene. Everybody loves that. You can fast forward all the way to that if you haven't seen it. Just go to the end of the final fight scene. Um, but there's a point where Thanos says, rain down fire. Even at the expense of killing his own soldiers so that he could win, so that the enemy could have victory. The funny part about that or the amazing part about that is they're raining down fire, and it looks like the Avengers are losing. And all of a sudden, all of his gunships begin to point to something in the cloud. Tony Stark says, Friday, what are they shooting at? And Friday frantically says, boss, something has entered the atmosphere. When God's power shifts the atmosphere concerning you, the enemy launches an all-out assault on you and the manifestation of what God is doing. Can I tell you that when you were born, there was a shift in the atmosphere. The appointed gift was delivered into earth. When you praise and worship, there's a shift in the atmosphere. When you died, there was a shift in the atmosphere. Some of y'all didn't get that, so I'll break it down. When you died, there was a shift in the atmosphere. And what I want you to understand is you live one life, but you can die twice. Your first death is to this flesh and to this world and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your second death is the death you, leave, you have in the natural to be with him in glory. The, atm- the amazing thing about shifting the atmosphere is we have the power to call forth a shift if we want to. Our praise and worship to the King of Kings and a loud voice of adoration can shift any atmosphere that's going on in our life. I found it fundamental that Saul's response, who are you, Lord, was just interesting to me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in such a messed up place operating on my own misguided preconceptions and philosophies that I can't recognize the voice of Christ when he speaks. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, and always acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. The essential element to understand during the time of transition is in order to move forward, you have to make a decision. You can't just move forward. Paul decided he was going to be used as a vessel to spread the gospel and no longer a tool in the hands of the enemy. This flesh and the things of this world try to cloud our judgment in making the right decision and living out what it truly means to choose Christ. 
It is the decision of the heart that Christ yearns for. Choosing to follow him and seek his face and not the things of this world. So once you've decided, then it's time to move from transitioning. It's time to transform. The transformation process, I've, I've, I've understood, is quite interesting. There's an input, there's a process, and it produces an output. So I had to break this down for me a little bit clearer. So all my Kool-Aid fans in the house. Yeah, like it. So Kool-Aid, you have inputs. The red package of mixture, water, and lots of sugar. You will notice I said red package. I didn't say cherry, I didn't say strawberry, I didn't say raspberry. Red is the best flavor. Pick and choose what you want to call it. Red is the best flavor. The stirring and mixing and dissolving of the sugar in the mixture is the process. The output is this delicious beverage, which I believe is manna from heaven. So you understand the process, right? I'll make it a little bit more clear. Pastor Brent, can you come up? A couple weeks ago, he preached about his grandmother and her, her prayers and all the things that he learned as a child. His family's philosophies, preconceptions, everything that they poured into him, those were the inputs. If you know me and you know Pastor Brent, this whole process hasn't been simple. I don't know about you guys. Some of you may have grown up in a church, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, never had a trial, tribulation in your life, never went through anything, never had a sick moment, never had a day, never had a bad time, bad thought, bad dream, or whatever. But that's not my story, and that's not our testimony. So you have the inputs. Then you have Pastor Brent making a decision. You have him seeking salvation. You have him understanding his gifts. You, understand, you have him operating in those gifts. That's the process. But then we all can see the output. The man of God who founded Encounter AZ. The man of God who is operating in the manifestation of his gifts daily. You can have a seat now. <laughs> but the, the cool thing about the output is it's a life journey. And his output just like our outputs, what we really have to understand is it's linked to the lives of those that God has placed under his shepherd and the souls he will bring to Christ. It's not about you. So when we look at scripture and we look at Saul's life, I believe there are other fundamental things that happen in his transformation process. I believe there were some psychological things that happened. I believe God exposed and shredded the very nature of who Saul thought he was, an instrument of persecution and death. Naturally, it looks as though in Scripture he found his identity in persecuting Christians. Taking a step back a few chapters, we see in Acts 7, 58, after the stoning of Stephen, the Bible says, The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of, young, of a young man named Saul. And in Acts chapter 1, verse chapter 8 verse 1 it says Saul approved of his execution then in Acts chapter 8 verse 3 it says Saul was ravaging the church entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison from these three scriptures we can conclude that the people were very familiar with Saul's persecution of the church and even looked to him as a person leading the charge 
This is all before we get to Acts chapter 9, verse 2, when he has full authority to go after the followers of Christ. In that psychological element, I could imagine he was on this platform that the people put him on by his own preconceptions around people who follow Christ and what he wanted to do. And now it's being crushed. His mind is probably racing and trying to understand, well, what, what, what do you mean? This is, this is what I do. This is what I live for. This is who I am, right? And then the next moment is we understand that there's a shift in his physical abilities. He's blinded. Let me ask you all to close your eyes. To my older people, um, you don't have to partake in this. We don't have insurance in case you, you know, just don't do this. And if you're holding babies, babies and all that stuff, just don't do this. But close your eyes. Then stand to your feet. How many of you touched a chair? <laughs> Keep your eyes closed. Now sit down. How many of you felt for the chair? Amen. Now, keep your eyes closed and shake the hand of the person to the next to, to, right next to you. Did it take you a while to find them? See, that loss in those physical abilities is quite interesting, right? Saul is blinded. You can open your eyes if you haven't already. Um, Saul is blinded and now has to go on his journey and rely on the people he was with. I believe that fundamentally shifted into God wanting to disconnect Saul from those people, from his mind and the, the earthly flesh that he, had, that he was operating out of and put him in a place of isolation. In order to get Saul's undivided attention, he had to disconnect him from the world so that he can isolate his thoughts and orchestrate the transformation process. To my sports fans, isolation in basketball is to run your offense, offensive plays against man-to-man -man defense, right? The concept is to give the ball handler room to play one-on-one -on -one against an inferior player, like me playing against Adam, right? You give me the ball, I'm going to say, isolate, I got this. I'm going to dunk on him, right? <laughs> and also, it, it prevents the remaining defenders from joining in the play. A moment, in this moment, God is showing Saul, I will have full control. But not to embarrass him or shame him like I would have when I dunked on Adam. But out of love and to show you that it's all for his glory. The next thing I believe that happened in this transformation process is God removed relationships to bring forth dependency. Like what happened to those who were traveling on the road with him. See, for our, my Army veterans and everything, I, I think it was, a, it was a tactical, strategic approach. You take out the head and the soldiers scatter, right? God took him out. He was able to remove him from these toxic relationships and fake cheerleaders. Because I'm sure they were on the road, they were like, yeah, Saul, yeah, we're going to get him. Let's go, let's do this. And the moment they all heard this voice, it's like, oh, well, wait a minute. And now you're blind. Okay, so look, we're going to help you into the city, and then we out. But that dependency he was able to bring about forced Saul into prayer, fasting, 
and refining his ear toward the voice of Christ. The next one, I believe, is God took all of his strength to make him vulnerable. The man with the authority and desire to hunt down the followers of Christ now is on his knees in confusion, left vulnerable to receive the Lord. In our vulnerable state, we are in a position to be more susceptible to receive what we may have blocked out as the truth or even has been clouded in our minds because of sin. And in this process, I believe God takes his sight for his glory. Your transform- and in that process, how many of you understand that your transformation will require some help? I don't know if you were like me, but I was on the way to busting hell wide open. Some of the things I was doing. But that's the power of the church. Your transformation process is not for you to walk alone. Your transformation process will need the person sitting next, have you rely on a person sitting next to you. Rely on your pastor. Rely on your um, community groups. Rely on your E-teams so that you can transform and go through this process. I found it really fascinating as we looked at it from a scripture perspective. God is strategic in executing his plans. We see in verse 10, God selected Ananias as a vessel to lay hands on Saul to regain his sight. Cool thing is, at the same time, God was giving Saul a vision of Ananias who will lay hands to give him his sight back. But the funny thing is, Ananias was reluctant that we see in chapter 13. Why? Because he had heard of Saul's reputation. But he was obedient. How often have we been reluctant to what God wants us to do and not thinking about the fact that our obedience is linked to the destiny of another and is needed to guide and unlock the gifts of those that God has placed in your lives. And you have the ability to do that just with your obedience. As we move through scripture, I think by verse 15, it's very interesting because you see like you see this anointing and this lesson that takes place. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The anointing God placed on Saul was far bigger than Saul. His anointing carried a purpose to transform the hearts and minds of many, not just him. In verse 16, we see, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That was, man, that was, that was just awesome to hear and to read. But we know to suffer is to share in the Christ's pain of being persecuted by those he loved so much and gave his life for. In that suffering, it forces us into a deeper and intimate relationship with him. For the world will cast you off. But your hope, our hope, is in Christ. Our loss to the flesh is our gain in Christ. But the flesh will cry out for the things we fed it before our encounter with Christ. And the pain of losing what we have placed such value on is nothing compared to the treasure that we'll gain through Christ. What blew my mind is that 
Christ fundamentally crushed every essence of Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus thought he was in three days. Crushed it, eliminated it, removed it, gave him his real identity. So once we've moved from the transition stage to the transformation process, it's time to testify. In order for Paul to, give the, to live the God-ordained life and begin to establish a true legacy of leadership and abiding in the spirit of the Lord, he, have, he had to sever him from his own life's journey. You see, God had to take Paul on a journey of self-discovery. And to go on a journey of self-discovery, unfortunately, it requires an introduction to yourself. God wants to introduce you to you. Because of the world, because of sin, because of this flesh, who we think and who we believe we are and what we find identity in is clouded. It's misconstrued. It's screwed up. It's jacked up. But God wants to have an encounter with you and introduce you to you. The moment I met Derek Walker was the most fundamentally changing thing in my life. I thought I knew who I was. I thought I knew my purpose. I thought I knew my plans. An encounter with God crushed all of that. And he said, wake up. Hey, hey, come here. Hey, I want to show you somebody. Hey, come here. Come on, move faster, move faster. Look in that mirror. Hey, say hello to Derek Walker. Because in introducing you to who you were born to be will bring forth the manifestation of why you're here. Your purpose and your intended um, transformation that he desires. So I ask you in the testifying process, is your life testifying God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, his favor? Or is it testifying the maliciousness of the devil? Jesus took his sight in order to give him vision. Sight is a function of the eyes. Vision is a function of faith. Sight is the, the ability to see things as they are, while vision is the ability to see things as they could or should be. How many of you understand that vision without execution is nothing more than hallucinations? Embedded in your DNA is a marker of greatness, not mediocrity. That marker is linked to the blood of Christ, and it can never be removed. So not executing on a vision that God has given you is nothing more than hallucinations. You might as well be in a crazy house with padded walls with a straitjacket on saying you're seeing these things, and you're seeing these manifestations, you're seeing the greatness, you're seeing all this with your eyes, but guess what? You're not executing on it. And the reason you can't execute on it is because you haven't gone through the transformation process being linked to a church that will come alongside you and walk that walk with you. How many of you are hallucinating this morning? With that vision, Paul established his legacy. He authored 13 books in the New Testament. A killer and persecutor is known for the triumphant transformation that went from wreaking havoc on the church to equipping the saints for a prosperous life in Christ. 
And I think he said it so fundamentally well in Galatians 2 and 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What I want you to understand this morning, saints, is your destiny is linked to the destiny of others. And the manifestation of your gifts is owed to them and the followers of Christ. Unlock your gift. Don't hold it hostage. Abide in the spirit of the Lord, and your legacy would be just that. Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not be conformed of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. I plead to you, saints, don't stay in transition too long. Take your transformation, that your transformation never takes place and you have nothing to testify about. The cemetery is filled, it's overrun, it's crowded with unfulfilled legacies. Don't be another one. Have the worship team come up. It's time to transition. It's time for transformation. And it's time to testify. I found it interesting this morning <laughs> that Bobby D <laughs> talked very specifically about getting back to the words of our testimony. That's my point three, time to testify. So the orchestration of the Holy Spirit is always amazing. And I felt God really implanted this word because sometimes we can get really stuck in that transition place. Oh, should I? Um, I really don't know. Oh, mm, the church hurt me. Oh, I really don't know. Oh, my God. Oh, the pastor didn't respond to my text message. Oh, you know what? I'm going to stay right here because it's comfortable. Yeah, I know Jesus. I'm going to sit on the, the third row. I'm going to raise my hands and worship and all those different things. But guess what? Oh, Friday night, I'm going to the club. That transition place can be very, very comfortable. It can be. You've heard what's going on. You have a conscious understanding of God. But that transformation process will take you through the burning and the fire. That transformation process will refine you. That transformation process will put you on the track to be introduced to yourself. And it's key. To get to the testimonies, testimony part, you have to be forged in a fire. Because his flesh removed us. We got to get back to where we're supposed to be, our intended purpose. Be forged in a fire. And I ask you this morning, what will you be known for? Will your legacy be that you were forged in a fire and that your future generations will not have to be beat down from pillar to post by the enemy? But they will know how to fall on their knees and pray and go into worship and bring forth a shift in the atmosphere and call on the name of Jesus whenever things go wrong. The transformation process is, is amazing. 
It won't always be a straight line. And it, always, it won't always look pretty. But it's about your legacy. It's about what you leave behind. Can I share a story with you guys this morning? It's about the year 1796. A 26-year-old man working diligently on his craft. He was a student of some famous people, world-renowned, working diligently. He begins to hear popping and buzzing and ringing in his ears. He didn't think much about it. By the age of 31, he lost 60% of his hearing. By the age of 46, he was completely deaf. But in that time of beginning to lose his hearing, he isolated himself from relationships. He became vulnerable. Some thought he was kind of crazy. Close friends are reported as saying, like, we had no clue. He was the same person, or we thought. They also talked about this individual who was a composer. So if you imagine, deaf to a composer means deaf to everything else, right? You're deaf, right? Now you're, you're done with. You can't possibly compose. And it's documented that one day he, at this time between 31 and 46, he submerged himself in his work, began writing, began composing like crazy storing and stockpiling all these compositions. And it's documented one day, he's in the music hall, he's with a friend, and one of his compositions go forth. I believe it was Moonlight Sonata. And the crowd gave a standing ovation. They were clapping. They were doing all these different things. He was in the rafters. The gentleman who wrote the composition that these individuals were playing, because he could no longer play it, because he couldn't hear it, was in the rafters, isolated with his best friend, turned, had his back turned. He was asking, what, 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 what did they say? What, what did they do? Because he couldn't hear the applause that was shaking the music hall. His friend had to turn him around so that he could see it, so that he could understand the power of what was going forth. His secretary is documenting it as saying she would walk in on him while he was writing and while he was going crazy and submerging himself with his keys, submerging himself in his craft. And she saw him one day take a pencil and put it in his mouth and began to hit different keys so that he could feel the note that he could no longer hear. What I want you to understand is nothing can remove the gift that God placed in you. This individual made the decision that in spite of his unfortunate circumstances, he would not stay in a state of transitioning, but transform the environment around him so that he can continue to manifest his gifts. We know this individual as the greatest composer in history. With some of his most prolific pieces being written while he was totally deaf. 
Ludwig van Beethoven. It amazed me when I read this story. I was like, wow, this is, wait a minute, this is impossible. But then it clicked for me. The God I serve makes the impossible possible. Time is the most precious commodity on earth. But it can never be bought, can never be traded, and can never be exchanged. Tomorrow is not promised for any of us. So I ask you, what will you be known for? What will you be known for? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to bring forth your word this morning. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for the praise and worship that went forward. I thank you for the revelation of your word. I thank you for every person represented here, Lord. I pray that you bless them abundantly according to your riches and glory. You know the desires and the needs of their heart, Lord, and I pray that they abide in your spirit and in your word, and you will bring forth blessings from heaven, Lord God. I thank you, I honor you, I praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Awesome. As Derek was sharing, I felt like the Lord was just asking me, how many people here are fighting what I want to do in their life? How many people here am I trying to transform, but they won't allow me to direct their life? And the verse in Paul's story that stuck out to me was the verse that says, where the Lord says to him, it's hard when you kick against the goats. And that's not something, a word I use in my everyday. I don't know if you guys use the goads. I don't know if that's like a normal word for you, but, but I actually had to look it up before. And, and what it is, is with an, it's called an ox goad. And the, they take oxen and to direct them, they would have a sharp-ended pole and, on the, and they would poke the ox with the sharp end to direct it to turn one way or the other way. And it hurt. And so sometimes an ox would be stubborn, like many of us probably are this morning. And when the man would poke the ox to get it to turn, the ox would actually kick back against the goad and hurt itself even further. And so I started thinking about that. I started to think about the life of Paul and how he would, he would, he would see the Lord do so many amazing things in his life. But at this point where God started this transformation in his life, he no longer kicked against the goad. He no longer fought the circumstances in his life. Do you know that you're actually, uh, the things that you're going through, your circumstances are actually used by God to direct you in certain directions in your life? And we, do a, we spend a lot of our time whining about the goad that God is poking us with to get us to turn into different directions. But what if we submitted and said, God will do whatever you want? You know what I think would happen is we might live a life a lot like Paul, where we see God say to him, all right, here's where I'm sending you. And Paul would hear, okay, we're going to stone you. Oh, I'm getting stoned? Not like that kind of stoned, like with rocks, okay? And, and uh, Paul just said, okay, I guess I'm getting stoned now. Didn't kick against the goats. Oh, I'm getting imprisoned? Okay, Lord, then you're going to use me in prison. You know, this weekend I had an opportunity to hear uh, a pastor speak, and he shared this picture. He was in Rome, 
and it was a staircase, and this man who was giving him his tour around Rome said, I want to show you my favorite place in Rome. And it was this dark staircase. He took his picture of it, and they went down this staircase, and they went into this little, this little stone cave, and this pastor was a little taller than me, and he had to walk like this because the roof was so small in this little room, and it was about the size of this platform right here. And he looked at the man and said, why are we here? Why is this your favorite place in Rome? And the man said, this is where Paul was imprisoned in Rome. This is where Paul wrote words like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is where Paul wrote words like, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or even think. Bent over like this. And I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time complaining to God about how I'm bent over and, and how I'm going through things. But what if we got to a place like Paul that said, you can direct me. If this is where you want me, God, then this is where I want to be. And I think that's the kind of transformation God wants to do in our life. So will you stand up to your feet with me this morning? Father, I just believe, God, that there's, there's many of us here, Lord Jesus, who we've been fighting against the direction that you've been trying to put us in and saying that this can't be God. But many times you speak to us through our circumstances, God. And I just believe this morning there's some of us who are going to submit to the transformation that you want to do in our lives. We want to leave a legacy for you, Father. So we just ask this morning, God, that you would just speak to us, God, to speak peace to our heart, Lord. Bring that transformation, God, that you brought in Paul's life into our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have the worship team begin to play for a couple minutes, and, and I want to ask you the prayer team to come up front here. And if this is you this morning, and God has been putting you through some things that have not been easy, I want you to ask God this morning, am I like Paul? Have I been pick, kicking against the goads? Because God, I want to submit to your direction. Whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, I want what you want in my life. I want to ask you to come up and receive prayer this morning and meet us at this altar before you leave. Come on, worship with me for a couple minutes before you leave, will you? And just ask God to bring transformation in your life.